Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown, where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music. Tall tales. True stories. And current goings on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter. And swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to episode 117 of the Brown County Hour. This is Sarah Lytle. And Dave Seastrom, along with the rest of the crew. Our musical guests this month are John and Terry Whitcomb. We'll share a conversation with them and we'll hear some of the holiday music they performed live in our studio. We also have a conversation with someone who puts on quite a holiday display that many of us have seen, Linda McGurr. We have a variety of holiday treats from our friends, Hondo and Jackie, along with a couple pieces from the archives with Chris Curtin and Walter Concrete. We also have contributions from some regulars, Rick Fettig, Dave Seastrom, and Jim Eagleman. Our first segment will feature our musical guests, John and Terry Whitcomb. Sarah Lytle interviews devoted holiday decorator, Linda McGurr. Rick Fettig has a few thoughts about politics and babysitting, and we'll close with the Whitcombs performing Baby It's Cold Outside. Rick Fettig here with the Brown County Hour, and we are so pleased to get John and Terry Whitcomb in here. They're good friends of mine, and I've been wondering what they've been up to for a few months, and this is the <laughs> first time I've ever got to see what they're doing, and they are approaching the world as a new dynamic musical duo. That's right. So. Dynamic. <laughs> dynamic. So, the key word. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome, John Terry. Good Thank to you. see you. Thank it's you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Uh, well, you guys are married. Yeah. How long have you been married? And I think you have a boy in the Far East or something. Is that still true? Far South. Like far South. New Zealand. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. As, as far as possible. A world away. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we've been married uh, 25 years. Just had our twenty six. Oh, was it twenty six? Twenty. Oh, coming up. No, twenty six <laughs> is coming up. It's good. So it's not here yet. Let's be clear. And yes. uh, we celebrated our twenty fifth in, in a really exotic location, St. Joseph, Michigan, in the middle of a blizzard. Oh. Uh, and we loved it. We loved it. Yeah. We're weirdos like that. No, we're we snowed in. Oh, we were so excited driving up there. Terry says, "Listen to this forecast: gale force winds, freezing spray, sub-zero temperatures." We we're like, "Yes!" Yeah, you know, we were really excited. We had a ball. We had so much fun. Up I'll there. bet it sounds good. John's from Seymour, and I'm from Seymour, and so I've known you for a long time. I think the first time I remember seeing you play 
was across from the Chamber of Commerce, the Red Dog or Red, well, something like that. It changed names several places. And you were playing Red bass Lion. with a little group there, oh, okay. like a long time. You were probably still in high school. Probably. Yeah. yeah. So that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but you did go, didn't uh, you went to a Guitar Institute of Technology or yeah. something? Uh, at a school called the Musicians Institute in Los Angeles. And... Um, Guitar Institute of Technology, and that was way back in the 80s, 1988, and it was like a boot camp for guitar. <laughs> it was it was all, there was nothing else, just guitar, but oh, yeah. but everything from sight reading to, to basic survival skills, trying to be a musician and make a living, and yeah. and uh, really great teachers, um, like it was a who's who. I mean, you'd, anybody who's anybody knew these instructors that were there, so it was really right, cool right. that way. Right. And I lived nearby, and I could walk there, so yeah, that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. And were you just talking about, uh, with Dave, about picking up a new rhythm here? The the Afro-Cuban <laughs> yeah. rhythms, yeah, <laughs> thanks to Ry Cooter and the Buena Vista Social Club. Oh, you didn't go with me on that one. That was huh. when you didn't go. Yeah. Terry and I have done a lot of mission work stuff together overseas. Yeah. She was busy with the kids, as usual. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. No, so that was that was good. Yeah, I learned those rhythms and went down and actually got to play some. So yeah, down in Haiti. Good. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, I'll pick up because I every once in a while I'll get in with some people and it's like, how do they get that? <laughs> how do you get that rhythm going? You know, you know yeah. It's kind of, so it's kind of amazing to learn. And um, so Terry, yes, I've known John for all this time, and you're just now starting to sing. Were you like a Singer in the shower for a long time, and John finally heard you. How how did it come about that you're finally working <laughs> well, together? Well, actually, I sang for the first time in public when I was 14 at a Rainbow Girl installation. Oh. Do you guys know what the Rainbow Girls is? Yeah, Rainbow <laughs> Girls. Yeah. Nice. But, yes, I've been a shower singer for a long time. Well, we're glad we just heard some songs from you, too, and uh, we're happy you made it out. You're still playing with other people, and don't you work with a church as a musical director? Yeah, I've kind of st stepped down from that position. I had uh, such an incredibly weird summer. I don't know if it was I was being led to do this, but in the spring of, last, of this last spring, I just felt the need to take off for the summer. And so yeah. I talked to my pastor. I said, I just I just feel I need to be off this summer and come back in the fall. And he said, fine, that's that's fine. You know, it's unpaid to sabbatical, mm -hmm. so to speak. Well, the summer saw not one, not two, but five family members pass away in as many months, including yeah, my mom. Your mom. Uh, most recently, my brother-in-law. And then getting COVID on top of it, it was just a brutal summer. So it was a good thing yeah. he wasn't working. It was nuts. Yeah. So, yeah, I do, and I still do play with um, a corporate band out of Indy called Jane Bond and the Pink Martinis. I have my own band that plays <laughs> about twice a year <laughs> called Poets and Politicians. But Terry and I have been on a really good run. She um, joined me, what, two summers ago? Mm -hmm. And uh, they liked us so much at the Brown Bike, we ended up having a returning every other week oh, wow. there at the Brown Bike, and then getting in some other places and then Ertl Sellers and has come up and then uh Seymour um where did we sing down there? I forget. <sighs> anyway, we sing in Seymour, trust okay. us, please. Yeah. And uh so yeah, our goal is uh to uh go into retirement here, singing together and and uh seeing what that has in store for us. Yeah. But we play everything from um oh gosh, uh, Tony Bennett. To Johnny Cash. To Johnny Cash mm -hmm. to 
So we're hitting everything, you yeah, know, yeah, pretty much, yeah. all, pretty much all style, except boy bands. Well, we we good. did hit a roadblock at boys bands. Yep, John went to <laughs> no do boy, boy bands. bands. Somebody said no. <laughs> well, when you listen to these songs, you'll hear hear John. But uh, that phrase comes to mind: "Let your fingers do the walking." And so that's what John's fingers do up that's and right. down the guitar neck. He's a fabulous guitar player, and like you said, he went and studied in the '80s. So. What year is this? Yeah, right, <laughs> right. So, and he's been working at it ever since. You know, but, he's uh, was limbered up when he came in here. Yeah, we did. We warmed up and yeah. practiced a little bit. Or... You know what? He still plays at least an hour every night. Yeah, yeah. At least. At least. Mm-hmm. Well, you'd think after playing all these years, Chuck, and you know this, you'd think, gee, you just don't have to practice. It gets harder, and you got You have to practice even more. Yeah. It just because yeah. the hands don't want to do what they used to do, and. Yeah, they you don't want to. Yeah. Say, remember, remember that you used to do that. Remember that. <laughs> yeah. So, how do people get a hold of you? You you got some contacts on Facebook or well, any yeah, the there's Spotify, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, we're we are presently working on an album, and um, married band of two album, and um, it's got no oh, again a little bit of everything. It's going to even have a couple originals on it. And uh, you can find some Married Band of Two on Facebook. And that's all we have so far as far as public well, media. That's, okay. We're starting slow. Well, but, cool. uh, but that's uh, all we got so far. All right. Well, we appreciate you coming in. And uh, I'm sure the people are going to enjoy these Christmas songs. Great. Well, thanks for having us. We appreciate right. it. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you guys. Welcome to the Brown County Hour. This is Sarah Lytle, and I have brought a person in today to interview to give me the backstory behind a Brown County spectacle that I have been very curious about. I would like to introduce Linda McGurr. Linda has a yard full of inflatable Christmas decorations. So, so Linda, tell me, how did this get started for you? I have always loved decorating for Christmas, even as a young child. My parents, well, you know, we came from a poor family, and so we were lucky to get a Christmas tree. But my parents did at one time get me some lights that I could hang outside, and then I would go up to the woods and I'd cut down pine branches and bring down and decorate around the lights. And so I kind of did that as a young child. And then when I got older and had children of my own, I, of course, you know, started decorating more, and um, I would say I probably started doing blow-ups in the front yard for Christmas about 23 to 25 years ago. It started out as maybe three or four, because when I first started, there wasn't a lot to choose from, but over the years, you know, I just added, every year I added more. And didn't you tell me that some of them have special meaning to you? Well, they do. Once I got moved down to Brown County, I had a a bigger yard to fill. (laughs) So I started buying more, and there's different things that I've done in my life that kind of sparked an interest in different blow-ups. Like, I farmed with one of my ex-husbands, so I had a tractor. I got a a John Deere blow-up tractor. We also did over-the-road truck driving, coast-to-coast. 
So I found a semi truck <laughs> to put in my front yard. Kind of more recently, my son is retired military, so I have something that references, you know, military out in my yard. Since he's been out in California, he's been become this great fisherman. So last year, I was able to find Santa in a boat, and he's got a fish on his fishing hook. That's amazing. So it's more than just reindeers and snowmen. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yes. <laughs> I know there's a lot, because you can see it traveling between Brown County and Bloomington, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners know this yard and know your cabin in this place. It's 0.8 of a mile west going toward Bloomington on 46. I also want to find out how does it happen that they grow? <laughs> Your cheeks don't get tired out there blowing them up, right? No, no. They all have <laughs> they all have motors and um they're on timers because as you can imagine, it, the electricity bill does go up when they're out there. So, I have them up probably from about 6 to 9 in the morning and probably 5 to 10 in the evening and they're all on timers. Yeah. It would be amazing, I think, to just come and, and sit among them while they're just rising up <laughs> or, or sinking, you know, going down. Just Do you do right. that? Do you just go out and like, or do the kids, you said oh, you the have. Oh, ki the kids do. You have like yeah. six kids and um, 20 grandkids and yes. seven greats. Yes. And. They must. This you do this for them too, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that that's my drive is for them, and it all has to be done by Thanksgiving when they come home because they like to run out and see, you know, what new ones that we have for the year. Because I'm always losing some, so I always have to replace them, and they like to go out and get their pictures taken with different ones. So it's so, really become a family tradition. It, it is. And um, I'll share with you, it's kind of going in another direction with um, one of my daughters that lives in Franklin. She has twins. <sighs> and they, they come down sometimes and help me get stuff out and put stuff away. But last year, they said, you know, Mommy doesn't decorate our house. Aww. So I had the twins for a weekend, and Mom was away at a dart tournament, and we went to the store, and we bought probably half a dozen blow-ups and <laughs> some lights, and when she came home, she could see her house long before she got to it. <laughs> and she didn't get the darts out? No, 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 but she did say this year when they wanted to put them up, they said, well, call Grandma. <laughs> ah, yeah, because you're, you're the expert. I mean, you course. know how to do it. Have you ever thought about just quitting? There's something that keeps you going beside the kids? I have thought about quitting. Um, probably about three or four years ago, I was really seriously thinking about kind of backing down a little bit because mm -hmm. I'm getting older. It's a little harder for me to get out there. But this lady sent me a card in the mail, and she thanked me very much for putting up this display. And she said, it makes me smile twice a day on my way to work and on my way home. Wow. So I'm thinking, oh, how can I how can I back down now? <laughs> <laughs> I've got so many people depending on me. <laughs> and and also, you know, e even when I'm not outside with them, if I'm in the house and they're up, people are beeping all the time when they go by the house. So I know they're enjoying them. Yeah. So you have drive-by honkers. Uh, drive-by honkers, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like I said, driving by, and I see these these blow-ups, and it's like there's 
I've got to meet this person and, and see what you're like. So thank you so much for coming in. Oh, you're welcome. We were born in a small town. We were. <laughs> and another friend of ours had a song about that. John and his wife, Terry, are here. John was born and raised in Seymour. I was not actually born in Seymour because my dad was in the Navy, and I was born in Bethesda, Maryland, and came home when I was 19 days old. But also, the girl I married is from Seymour. So her name is Alex, Alexandra Bodorf was her maiden name, and she's the mother of my kids. She's daughter of the Democratic Secretary of State. Now, John, who's here with us, had four wonderful sisters, and he still has them. Yes. <laughs> still got them. Yes. And his father was the Republican governor of Indiana. And there's something funny about all that. Can you imagine five kids all doing the brother-sisterhood lifestyle, and here's this other young girl, an only child of a Democrat. Do you know what these five kids would do? Those five kids would babysit fairly regularly for this young girl. Can you imagine that these days? Families of different thought, getting along to the degree, putting your child in care of a family of a different political position, or putting your kids in care and responsibility of another child raised as parents of different political positions. Well, those were the days, a different time, where all ideas were listened to and considered, and then decisions were made based on the common good. This time of year, we hear many key words and slogans, Mary, peace, joy, love, etc. And they often come in stencil. <laughs> Let me encourage everyone to think these terms when we look someone in the eye. 24-7, all day, every day. Let's be kind to each other and respect them equally as any human being deserves. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and any other greeting you're accustomed to. Spread the peace, joy, and love. This is the <coughs> Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald version of Bibby is Cold Outside. Although we're not going to sound just like him. No. Just disclaimer. I really can't stay. Baby, it's cold outside. Gotta go away Baby, it's cold outside This evening has been Been hoping that you'd so drop in So very nice I'll hold your hands now just like I My mother will start to worry Beautiful, what's your My father name? will be pacing the floor Listen to the fireplace roar Really, I'd better scurry Beautiful, please don't Maybe hurry. just a half a drink more Put some records on while I pour Neighbors might think Baby, it's bad out there. Say, what's in this dream? No camps to be had out there. I wish I knew how. Your eyes are like starlight now. Break a spell. I'll take your hand. Your hair looks well. Not to say no, no, no. Mind if I'm moving closer? At least I'm gonna say that I tried. What's the sense of hurting my pride? Really can't stay. Oh, Baby, it's cold. Must go. Baby, it's cold outside. The answer is no. Baby, it's cold outside. The welcome has been I love you that you so nice and warm. Look out the window at that store. Sister will be 
Pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Powered Community Radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. Support for WFHB comes from Our Brown County, a magazine for locals and visitors featuring art, entertainment, and county characters since 1995. Printed six times a year and available online. More at OurBrownCounty.com. We begin our second segment with a Jim Eagleman essay called Farmer's Almanac. We have a piece from the archives with Dave Seastrom as Walter Concrete. Chuck Wills shares a conversation about an upcoming performance with the Bloomington Symphony Orchestra. We have a poem from our old friend Chris Curtin called Chicken Parts. And we'll close with the Whitcombs performing Rock Around the Christmas Tree. With the changes occurring with the climate, I wondered recently if the tried-and-true Farmer's Almanac was reflecting these changes. Is it still a fair and trustworthy reference for us gardeners? Has it remained popular with landscapers, weather watchers, and plant growers, as it has for many years? Or has it gotten away from its usual predictions, sometimes based merely on folk tales and hearsay? I recall we once referred to the Farmer's Almanac in one of my natural resources classes during a discussion of weather and if the patterns of weather affected wildlife and could a resource manager use the information provided in the Almanac to accurately determine what habitat to improve, what food plots maybe to plant for that year. I recall the prediction for that winter was for prolonged cold and lots of snow and that forecast actually happened but this was long before any computer models were used and satellite coverage is advanced as it is now. The Farmer's Almanac provides 16 months of weather forecasts for seven zones in the U.S. in its little compact book. It is now predicting for the upcoming winter that the worst of the bitterly cold weather conditions will affect areas east of the Rockies all the way to the Appalachians. 
It also says that Canada can expect a teeth-chattering winter, that's their words, with below normal temperatures from coast to coast. Conversely, the Farmer's Almanac is predicting above normal temperatures everywhere except southern British Columbia, which they say experiences colder average temperatures in January and February. Farmer's Almanac predictions are usually followed by meteorologists today with a bit of tongue-in-cheek reaction. It shows the Farmer's Almanac is all over the place, and one of the predictions is bound to be right, says David Phillips, senior climatologist with the Environment and Climate Change Canada. If you don't like the one forecast, go and look at the other one, he says with a chuckle. How exactly does the Farmer's Almanac predict a season? According to the old Farmer's Almanac, it is a solar science method, which means looking at the sunspot activity, climatology, looking at prevailing weather patterns, and the meteorology and studying the atmosphere. The Farmer's Almanac, on the other hand, says it relies on a specific and reliable set of rules that were developed back in 1818 by David Young, the first publisher And he says those are based on mathematical and astronomical figures. Basically, in the 1800s, the Almanac was first formed by this editor, David Young, who was a mathematician, a calculator, and an astronomer slash farmer. He recognized weather was most important to farmers, so he developed a mathematical formula that gets applied to sunspot activity, planet positions, the effects of the moon has on the Earth, And those are the components, along with the math, to do the weather. But this isn't how today's scientists look at it as they forecast the upcoming seasons. Climatologists examine the multitude of data that includes water temperatures and oceans around the world, ice conditions and land conditions, as well as the current season. That's not something you can do if you're forecasting seasons ahead, as the almanacs do, So David Phillips says, so when you think about the fact that we can't even get it right for tomorrow, and then when you're trying to get it right for a year and a half in advance, it really is the joke that it is, he says. But he's an Almanac fan. Forecasting the weather is tricky business. It's fairly well understood that accuracy decreases the further you go out. Phillips said that the rate of accuracy for forecasting the weather for the current day is roughly 95%. Two days out, it drops to 85%, and three days out, it drops to about 75%. Another factor to take into account is the climatologists dealing in a world that they've never seen before due to climate change. Changes come fast, some slow, but it is a shifting stage, he said. While there haven't been any recent studies on the accuracy of the Farmer's Almanac and its predictions of seasonal forecasts, a paper published by the journal WeatherWise back in 1981, found that rather than the claim held by the old farmer's almanac that they forecast with 80% accuracy, the reality was it was closer to about 52%, slightly greater than chance. So when you receive your copy of the farmer's almanac this Christmas, tucked into your stocking as a last-minute gift idea, enjoy the history this work has accumulated over the years. It's suggestions for growing bigger and better tomatoes, how to haul walnuts, trim branches, transplant perennials, and know that while we may rely on more advanced methods for weather predictions, we can leave that to the scientists. I'll use my copy to continue to enjoy and peruse and leisurely read and see for myself the differences it tells me to look for 
and what I actually see outside my window. Thanks for listening to another segment of Nature Ramblings. For the Brown County Hour, I'm Jim Eagleman. I'm going to the country, got to get away. <laughs> we are recording, by the way. Okay. <laughs> All right. Then give us the one, two, three, man, and we'll roll on. Okay. Take it away, Dave. Hello. This is Walter Concrete with the Brown County Hour. This morning, we'll be cranking up the Richard Fish way back in time machine and bringing you some hippie news from the 1970s. We're seeing more and more of these long-haired invaders in Brown County. They're arriving with their families, and it looks like they're here to stay. There's been an out-and-out invasion along Plum Creek, and the casual observer can easily see clusters of teepees surrounded by semi-naked hippies laughing and carrying on. Reports are coming in from all over the county as sightings of naked swimmers at the now infamous Bearass Lake have attracted large crowds of locals hoping to get a look. The natives are completely upset. Even the streets of Nashville are now host to these long-haired, wildly-dressed young people. They apparently have no morals whatsoever. The horrible music, their disrespect, for the American way of life and their unpatriotic anti-war activities have more than a few Brown Countyans completely upset. At a recently called public meeting, the sheriff was quoted as saying that as far as he can tell, it's not illegal to be a hippie. He assured the anxious group of concerned citizens that he's looking into it and if there is any way to stop this invasion, he will see to it. In an attempt to bring some clarity to this story, we have found two people that we believe are actual hippies, and they have agreed to speak with us this morning. Let me introduce you to Mr. Natural and his companion, Seashell. Good morning, Mr. Natural. Before we begin, is this your actual name? Um, yeah, man. It's naturally my actual name. Do you mean to tell me that your mother named you that? Well, not exactly. Mom has her good points, but picking names is not one of them. No one wants to be called Sydney. What about you, Miss Seashell? Is that your given name? First off, man, it's Ms. Seashell. That paradigm has shifted and those sexist, derogatory, submissive titles no longer apply. But to answer your question, yes, I was given that name, but not by my mother. You can call me Shelly. To help us understand what's going on here, Nate, if I may call you that, let's start with you. In your own words, what is a hippie, and why would you want to be one? Man, the name's natural, man. No nate or nit involved here. Okay, sorry. Back to my question. Dude, the word hippie is a media invention. I kind of like it, but we're making it up as we go along, you know, so there, there is no definition. To answer your other question, why would you want to be anything else? I mean, it's... We're free, we live as we want, 
It's not like your world is exactly working out. We're making something new here, and, and we like it. What do you mean by new? I'll answer that one. We're part of the back to the land movement, and we have no interest in the consumeristic nine to five, detached from the earth way of life that has brought about endless wars and environmental destruction. We're seeking harmony with Mother Earth and peace with all humankind. We intend to change the world one garden at a time with each child we raise and every convention we do away with. It's in the music, it's in the air, and we're all in this together. That seems a little ambitious. Do you really think you can change the world? Well, man, if we don't do it, who will? Check back with me in 40 years. So... There you have it. Actual hippies in their own words. Back to you, Dave. This is Dave Seastrom with the Brown County Hour, bringing you a far-out report for all you old hippies and everyone some 40 years later. Peace and love. This is Chuck Wills with the Brown County Radio Hour, and I am with Alejandro Gomez Guillen, who is the artistic director and conductor for the Bloomington Symphony Orchestra. Welcome, Alejandro. How are you today? I'm great, Chuck. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. We have you on today because coming up in December, the Bloomington Symphony Orchestra will be performing in Brown County. But before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about the symphony? The Bloomington Symphony Orchestra is now going on its 52nd season. It really is the community orchestra of South Central Indiana. You know, these are people who come from different walks of life. You have your teachers, you have business owners. It really is the people who make up the community who also choose to be part of the orchestra. We are looking forward to hearing the Bloomington Symphony Orchestra in Brown County. And I know you're gonna be playing the Celebrate the Season holiday concert on December 11th at the Brown County Music Center. If anyone is interested in more information, they can go to the browncountymusiccenter.com website to learn more. But what can you tell us about this Celebrate the Season concert? What will people be hearing? Well, we chose pieces that highlight different aspects of the season, sharing music that really speaks to diverse points of view. You will have holiday staples such as selections from the Nutcracker, which you know you have to have. We'll have Sleigh Ride by Lyra Anderson. But we will also have music by Afro-British composer Samuel Coleridge-Taylor and by Florence Price, who also happened to be the first black woman to be featured on the symphonic stage in this country. We will also have uh, music um, from The Sound of Music, which a lot of people actually associate with, with the holiday time. Uh, we will have very interesting versions of Carol of the Bells and Greensleeves, maybe in ways that you haven't heard before. And we will also highlight music from other movies, such as Miracle on 34th Street, uh, Home Alone, The Nightmare Before Christmas, and even uh, some Dr. Seuss gets a little turn. Um, and even some Frozen. I know that it was ubiquitous a couple of years ago, a few years ago, but we thought it was time to bring it back. And there's some really wonderful tunes in there. And then, of course, the, the highlight of getting to the Twisted Night Before Christmas as well. So it's a little bit of, for everyone, it's definitely a family-friendly show. And we just kind of hope that people leave with a little bit of a, a spring on their step and just uh, really holding that spirit of, of Christmas, the spirit of the, of the holiday season in general. Well, it sounds like a fantastic program. And I will say that even though I'm incredibly biased, because 
You have asked me to narrate Twas the Night Before Christmas. I am truly looking forward to that experience. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And, and just so that our listeners know, this uh, is now an annual tradition of doing Twas the Night Before Christmas with narrator. I know this is going to be an outstanding performance. Great songs throughout. I hope that the community comes out to enjoy the wonderful music. It'll be great to be at the great Brown County Music Center. Such an amazing venue. So we're very excited. Well, Alejandro, thank you so much for taking a few minutes, and we'll see you on December 11th at the Brown County Music Center. Thank you, Chuck. This is Chris Curtin with a poem called Chicken Parts. The vegetarian hunter-gatherer slouches toward the kitchen, his prey a dinner in a box, rice and vegetables resting in cold comfort in the frozen wasteland of the freezer. He makes the catch with an effortless ease, born of many years of practice. But wait! What's this in the ingredients? Chicken parts? Could they be a little more specific? There's no bragging of great breasts or boasting of fine thighs. No unsettling hints of the cross-species relations of buffalo wings. Just parts. What was their origin? Did the chickens give them up like eggs? Were they from a chicken parts dealer? New and used chicken parts. A part for every chicken, a chicken for every part. Or were they found in rural junkyards where you could stroll up and down row upon row in an unmown field, covered with the hulks of old erect chicken carcasses, where you took the parts off yourself with the socket wrench you brought along for that purpose? Were classic vintage parts of an old chicken more highly prized? Or should you comb the yard for newer parts from a low-mileage bird that had been involved in an unfortunate accident? Were they parts one could speak about openly in mixed company, without fear of offending or embarrassing others? Or were these private parts, spoken of only in whispers by men and women of questionable character? All right, Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree by Brenda Lee. One, two.
Now we pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Powered Community Radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. Support for the Brown County Hour comes from listeners like you and the support of the Brown County Inn, a family-friendly getaway destination located in Nashville, Indiana, offering locally sourced food, drinks, and live entertainment, with banquet space, indoor-outdoor pool, miniature golf, and more. Information and booking available at browncountyinn.com. Our final segment begins with Hondo Thompson and Jackie Board's rendition of The Night Before Christmas. Dave Seastrom shares some holiday musings and we'll close the show with the Whitcombs performing Winter Wonderland. This is Hondo and Jackie. This is the night before Christmas. Twas the night before Christmas by Clement Clarkmore. And something else by someone I have no idea who wrote this. Twas the night before Christmas, when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. It was the nocturnal segment of the diurnal period, preceding that of our annual Yuletide celebration. And throughout our place of residence, kinetic activity was not in evidence among the possessors of this potential, including that species of domestic rodent known as Mus musculus. Stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The hosiery was meticulously suspended from the forward edge of the wood-burning caloric apparatus, pursuant to our anticipatory pleasure regarding an imminent visitation from an eccentric philanthropist among whose folkloric appellations is the honorific title of St. Nicholas. Children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. The prepubescent siblings, comfortably ensconced in their respective accommodations of repose, were experiencing subconscious visual hallucinations of variegated fruit confections moving rhythmically through their cerebrums. And Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. When out on the roof there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. My conjugal partner and I, attired in our nocturnal head coverings, were about to take slumberous advantage of the hibernal darkness, when upon the avenacious exterior portion of the grounds there ascended such a cacophony of dissonance that I felt compelled to arise with alacrity from my place of repose for the purpose of ascertaining the precise source thereof. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutter, and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave the luster of midday to objects below. Hastening to the casement, I forthwith opened the barriers sealing this fenestration, noting thereupon the lunar brilliance without reflected, as it was on the surface of a recent crystalline precipitation, might be said to rival that of the solar meridian itself. When what to my wondering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. With a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. 
thus permitting my incredulous optical sensory organs to behold a diminutive airborne runnered conveyance drawn by eight diminutive species of the genus Rangifer, piloted by a minuscule aged chauffeur so ebullient and nimble that it became instantly apparent to me that he was indeed our anticipated caller. More rapid than eagles, his coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner, on Blitzen. With his ungulant motive power traveling at what may possibly have been more vertiginous velocity than patriotic Alar predators, he vociferated loudly, expelled breath musically through contracted labia, and addressed each of the osset by his or her respective cognomen, now Dasher, now Dancer, et al. To the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now dash away, dash away, dash away all. As dry leaves that before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. So up to the housetop the coursers they flew, with the sleigh full of toys, and St. Nicholas too. And then in a twinkling I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. Guiding them to the uppermost exterior level of our abode, through which structure I could readily distinguish the concatenations of each of the 32 cloven pedal extremities. As I drew in my head and was turning around, down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bound. As I retracted my cranium from its erstwhile location and was performing a 180 degree pivot, our distinguished visiton achieved, with utmost celerity and via a downward leap, entry by way of the smoke passage. He was dressed all in fur from his head to his foot and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. He was clad entirely in animal pelts, soiled by the ebony residue from the oxidations of carboniferous fuels which had accumulated on the walls thereof. A bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His resemblance to a street vendor I attributed largely to the plethora of assorted playthings which he bore dorsally in a commodious cloth receptacle. His eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples, how merry. His orbs were skittilent with reflective luminosity, while his submaxillary dermal indentations gave every evidence of an engaging amiability. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. The capillaries of his molar regions and nasal appurtenance were engorged with blood which subfused the subcutaneous layers the former approximating the coloration of Albion's floral emblem, and the latter that of the prunus avium, sweet cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard on his chin was as white as the snow. His amusing sub and superlabials resembled nothing so much as a common loop knot, and their ambient hirsute facial adornment appeared like small tabular and columnar crystals of frozen water. The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke it encircled his head like a wreath. Clenched firmly between his incisors was a smoking piece whose gray fumes, forming a tenuous ellipse about his occiput, was suggestive of a decorative seasonal circlet of holly. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. His visage was wider than it was high and when he waxed audibly mirthful, his corpulent abdominal region 
undulated in a manner of impectinated fruit syrup in a hemispherical container. He was chubby and plump and right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. He was, in short, neither more nor less an obese, jocund, multigenarian, the optical perception of whom rendered me visibly frolicsome, despite my every effort to refrain from being so. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. By rapidly lowering and then elevating one eyelid and rotating his head slightly to one side, he indicated that trepidation on my part was indeed groundless. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work, and he filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk. And laying his finger aside of his nose and giving a nod up the chimney, he rose. Without utterance and with dispatch, he commenced filling the aforementioned appended hosiery with various of the aforementioned articles of merchandise extracted from his aforementioned and previously dorsally transported cloth receptacle. Upon completion of this tax, he executed an abrupt bout face, placed a singular manual digit in lateral juxtaposition to his olfactory organ, inclined his cranium forward in a gesture of leave-taking, and forthwith effected his aggress by renegotiating in reverse the aforementioned smoke passage. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. He then propelled himself in a short vector onto his conveyance, directed a musical expulsion of air through his contracted oral sphincter to the antlered quadrupeds of burden, and proceeded to soar aloft in a movement hitherto observable chiefly among the seed-bearing portions of the common weed. But I heard him exclaim, ere he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night. But I overheard his parting exclamation audible immediately prior to his vehiculation beyond the limits of my visibility. An ecstatic yuletide to the planetary constituency and to that self-same assemblage, my sincerest wishes for a salubriously beneficial and gratifyingly pleasurable period between sunset and dawn. From the whole Brown County Hour crew, Jim, Vera, Pam, Rick, Chuck, and Dave. Happy Holidays! For Becky and me, it wasn't so long ago that our holidays were surrounded by family. Uncles and aunts, parents and grandparents, and lots of cousins gathered for the major holidays to share a fabulous meal and enjoy the occasion. Everyone in my extended family decorated their homes for the holidays, but Mom took Christmas decorating to a whole other level. And when I say decorate, I mean every square inch of her house was festooned in holiday splendor. Hand crocheted Santa Claus doorknobs on every door, elves and little Santas scattered throughout the house, enough mistletoe that you had to be careful who you were standing next to when you walked under it, and pine boughs hanging from the door frames to add a festive scent to the air. Every dish and hand towel displayed a holiday scene, and the dinner plates and glasses were likewise holiday-themed. In the center of it all was the giant Christmas tree that had so many lights and ornaments that it took a solid week for Mom to hang all of the decorations. The ornaments were a collection of objects, many of them passed down from the family, and a few of them were handmade. 
There were little reindeer, horses and dogs and other critters, and lots of shiny glass orbs that sparkled in the Christmas lights. When I was little, I was particularly proud of an ornament that I made for the occasion consisting of a paper plate with dried macaroni glued to it and sprayed with gold paint. I'm pretty sure my brother made one as well. Mom kept those ornaments until they were way past their prime, and I remember the last time I saw them, they didn't look as festive as they used to. The passage of time has brought lots of change, and these days, Becky and I are in the time of life where all of our ancestors have gone to Valhalla, the happy hunting grounds, or maybe they've reincarnated. Honestly, I'm not sure where they are, but we're no longer gathering at the big table for Thanksgiving or Christmas. Likewise, our extended families are scattered across the country because most families don't live in proximity to one another. This year, the kids had plans to celebrate Thanksgiving with some dear friends, and Becky and I were on our own. Seeing as how it was just the two of us, we were free to do, or not do, whatever we wanted. Without the imperative of hordes of family coming over, or the necessity to drive long distances to be with family who were no longer with us, we didn't have to clean the house, make a whole mess of food, or dress up to make Mama happy. And even though this year was distinctly different, we were thankful. There's a lot to be said for not having to do anything, and we forged a loose plan to celebrate the holiday without all the rigmarole. The original plan was to thaw out a rack of lamb and have a fancy meal. And that would have been nice, except that we forgot to take the lamb out of the freezer in time. The day before Thanksgiving, Becky had her Moderna booster, and while she was in town, she picked up a turkey breast for our holiday meal. By Thanksgiving morning, her muscles were sore, which might have something to do with all of the firewood we've been making because I was also sore. But, vaccine or not, she just felt like hanging out and watching movies. Sensing that our plans were now in flux, I made a hearty breakfast, and after our meal, she went upstairs to continue her movie, and I pretended I was in a tryptophan haze and took a nap. The weather was cold and rainy, and that nixed any outdoor activity, so I spent the rest of the afternoon reading the new wooden boat magazine. Even though I'll never own one of these magnificent wooden boats, I do enjoy reading about them and how they're made. Because I attended several classes at the Wooden Boat School, I knew a few of the authors, and in a way, it was like having a visit with old friends and catching up with what they're doing. As dinner time approached, Becky let me know that she wasn't hungry and I was on my own. At first, I thought about making the turkey and what all, but I lacked motivation, and I decided to be thankful by reheating some marginal cheddar broccoli soup and making a grilled cheese sandwich. And you know... It wasn't half bad. Thankfulness comes in many forms. And the next day we made up for our lackluster celebration by joining the kids for a holiday meal at a favorite restaurant. The food was good. And it was wonderful to be able to spend time with one another. And honestly, it was also wonderful to eat anything that wasn't cheddar broccoli soup. This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time. All right, this is Winter Wonderland, a holiday favorite from the Dean Martin collection. One, two, three, Sleigh bells ring, are you listening? In the lane, the snow is glistening. A 
beautiful sight We're happy tonight Walking in a winter wonderland Gone away is the bluebird Here to stay is a new bird He sings a love song as we go along Walking in a winter wonderland In the meadow we can build a snowman Parson Brown He'll say are you married We'll say no man But you can do the job when you're in town Later on We'll conspire As we dream By the fire To face unafraid The plans that we made Walking in a winter wonderland In the meadow we can build a snowman Pretend that he's a circus clown We'll have lots of fun with Mr. Snowman Until the other kiddies knock him down When it snows, ain't it thrilling? Though your nose gets a chillin' We'll frolic and play the Eskimo way Walking in a winter wonderland Walking in a winter wonderland Walking in a winter wonderland. Thanks for tuning in to episode 117 of the Brown County Hour. This show was recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. and anytime online. Be sure to look for us on your favorite social media outlets. The Brown County Hour is brought to you by a diverse group of folks who believe, now more than ever, the world is for everyone. This show was produced by Chuck Wills, Pam Rader, Rick Fettig, Sarah Lytle, Jim Lemon, and Dave Seastrup. We would also like to thank Slats Klug for our theme music. You have been listening to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County home.